impunity reigns, writers resist. The cases of Ukraine, Nicaragua, Myanmar and Egypt. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. PEN International, a worldwide association of writers, presented its 2022 case list, which documents 115 cases of writers facing harassment, arrest, violence and even death. This episode is a recording of an online panel of writers and activists discussing the situation surrounding freedom of expression globally on the occasion of the publication of the case list. The discussion focuses on cases in Ukraine under Russian attack, Egypt, Myanmar and Nicaragua. Participants include Matida, writer-activist from Myanmar and chair of PEN International's Writers in Prison Committee, Ahdaf Suev, writer and activist from Egypt, myself, Volodymyr Yermolenko, philosopher, essayist and chief editor of Ukraine World, and Jaconda Belli, Nicaraguan poet and activist. The event was moderated by Tanya Tuma, PEN International board member and president of PEN Slovenia. It was held on March 21st, 2023. Good afternoon. I'm Tanya Tuma, board member of PEN International, the world's largest association of writers dedicated to promoting literature and defending freedom of expression. I'm also president of PEN Slovenia. I am pleased to welcome you to the event Impunity Reigns, Writers Resist, marking the publication of PEN International's 2022 case list which documents 115 cases of writers facing harassment, arrest, violence, and even death worldwide. For over a century, PEN International has monitored and advocated for writers who have suffered repression of their right to write freely and to comment on the world around them without fear or of repercussion. PEN International's case list is a yearly document of violations against writers, what happened, where, and by whom. It covers writers of fiction and nonfiction, journalists, academics, poets, playwrights, songwriters, and translators, anyone who works with the written word. Today, notably, marks the World Poetry Day, and the case list is a powerful reminder of the risks poets around the world are facing for their critical poetry. We will hear from our four panelists who will speak to the issues and writers featured in the 2022 case list, starting with Matida, chair of PEN International's Writers in Prison Committee and former president of PEN Myanmar, Volodymyr Lermolenko, philosopher, journalist, and president of PEN Ukraine. Ahdaf Suev, Egyptian novelist and acti activist. And Jukonda Beli, Nicaraguan novelist and poet. As the 2022 case list shows, conflicts around the world continue to pose extreme risks for those reporting or commenting on them, especially in Ukraine, Syria, Yemen, and Ethiopia. At least 68 writers and journalists were killed or threatened by repressive governments and non-state actors acting with impunity. Some countries saw writers forced to flee persecution and seek pathways to safety, often cruelly denied, such as in Myanmar and Afghanistan. A new form of repression in the form of forced expulsion and exile of writers was seen in several countries, including Cuba and Nicaragua. Across the world, repressive laws, the use of surveillance technology, the ever-shrinking space for civil society, state-sponsored impunity, and restrictions on the opportunities available to learn and receive education in minority languages, all have devastating consequences on freedom of expression. Women writers continue to be disproportionately silenced, whether through censorship, harassment, or violence. Today, more than ever before, we urgently need additional donations 
donations to safeguard our mission, to help those who are persecuted, silenced, in prison or in exile, and to defend freedom of expression. Please support our crisis appeal. The link will be shared in the chat box. I am now delighted to introduce Matida, who will speak about the work of Pan International's Writer in Prison Committee. Please, Tida. Thank you, Tanya. Indeed, our committee, the Writers in Prison of the Pan International, has been set up in early 1960s. At that time, you know, the globally, the critical voices has been silenced. That's why we want to mount the that's concern. You know, we, we, we want to combat with this concern. That's why we set up this committee. And committee works is for on behalf of those who are detained or persecuted for their opinions, either expressed in their writings or in their political activities or their exercisings of their own professions. That's will be uh, very difficult for them. You know, they normally they do not use violence or they do not advocate violence or the racial hatred, but their life has been in danger. That's why the comedy itself has been set it up. So the basic uh, strength of ours is the solidarity. And these day, these years, recently, the work of our committee has proved that the scores of the writers who have been released or who have been their uh, situation improved. It's pretty much uh, a little bit or pretty much improved, you know. As the chairs of the uh, writer in prison committee, I really look forward to working together with the PEN members and the other supporters in campaigning and lobbying the relevant governments for an improvement in the conditions of the persecuted writers or for their release. And also we prefer to make investigations into the cases of torture and killings. That's what we have been uh, facing. But on the other hand, there are so many writers at risk. So we also want to help these writers at risk to make them uh, physical security and the psychological security, or there are a couple uh, very many writers in prisons. We want to reaching out them through our letters, either directly to them or through their family members. That's our uh, basic uh, activities we have been doing for ages. And we also want to do the advocacy for the systematic changes or the legislative reform, because this is the root cause of the, uh, the writer in prison and writer at risk. You know, that's why I prefer to working together with the international and the regional human rights bodies. We really wants to work on this issue together with our committee. I call for it. Thank you. Thank you, Tida, very much for your words and for your work. 2022 was a year defined by the Russian Federation's war against Ukraine and the renewed threat of nuclear conflict. Thousands of civilians have been killed or injured in attacks by Russian forces who stand accused of war crimes, crimes against humanity or genocide. The war was met with international condemnation, including by Pan International. Museums, libraries and archives across Ukraine have come under sustained attack. Russian forces are deliberately destroying historical sites and looting and smuggling cultural goods, crimes that the Ukrainian authorities have described as an attack against their own identity. In the quotes on war, we find a deep thought by Volodymyr Yermolenko. War shows you, sorry, War shows you that individualism is an illusion. When human connections disrupt, you realize 
how much you depend on them. I am pleased to introduce Volodymyr Yermolenko, philosopher, essayist, editor-in-chief of Ukraine World, and president of PEN Ukraine. Dear Volodymyr, could you tell us why culture is so important in times of war and why writers and journalists are being specifically targeted by Rus Russian forces in Ukraine? Thank you, Tanya, and I'm uh, very honored to be in such a community of uh, such a brave people. And uh, indeed, the war changes, uh, changes our reality. You cannot really explain what the war is. Uh, this is also the question of words. The, the word war actually is too abstract. The word explosion is too abstract. The word uh, missile is too abstract. Uh, you really need to, to feel it and to experience it. And therefore, these experiences, of course, changes many things. And uh, I would say that uh, in Ukraine, uh, the big thing that happened already in 2014, when, when this war has started uh, on a local level and when it exploded on a more massive level uh, last year, uh, this, is also, um, this is also a story of transformation. Many people have transformed their life. They kind of started a new life. Uh, some of them went abroad as emigra emigrants, uh, mostly women with children or with adolescents. Uh, about, I think, up to 8 to 10 million people. Can you imagine this, this number? Um, it's maybe one quarter even more of Ukrainian population, which is Ukraine is a big country, it's 40 million people. But many, many people have uh, have changed their life in the way that they volunteered to the front line. They became soldiers. And imagine a, a civilian who becomes soldier. And um, this is the case of the many Ukrainian cultural actors. And uh, this is incredibly brave people. For example, in Penn, Ukraine, we have 11 people who are volunteered uh, to, to, to the soldiers. This is maybe... Uh, we are closer to 10% of our organization. And not only men, but also women like Yarina Chernohus, uh, my student, who is a brave uh, Ukrainian poet, uh, who will soon publish her next book, which we will hope to present uh, in Pan Ukraine. But she, she's a very brave personal, personality who is now uh, in, this, in this very difficult uh, situation on the front line and really really on the front line. Uh, we have, uh, unfortunately, the sad figure is that when we talk about journalists, 49 journalists have lost their life, uh, both in Ukrainian and international. And actually, many of them uh, are have become soldiers. Not So, so they were killed uh, on the front line, not as a journalist, but as, as soldiers. There were also journalists who were killed Ukrainian, American, French, um, Lithuanian, uh, when they were doing the journalistic work. But um, but it is also important to understand this feeling, this mood, which I expressed in this quote, that basically you mm -hmm. feel that your nation, your country is a baby, which you need to take care of. And the civilization is a baby because it can, it can disrupt at any moment. It can be destroyed at any moment. And therefore, it's up to you whether it will survive or not. This feeling of Ukrainian society is so much, so so strong. And when I tell you this figure, 49 journalists, and, and we all know them by names, we all describe them in our pan-Ukraine reports, it's important to understand how many of them actually volunteered to defend their country. The same with, with arts um, and cultural figures. Uh, so we have, for example... People like Viktor Onisko, who was just a, a good uh, cinema person, who was a cinema editor, and, and he was he was killed on the front line. Or my, my friend Vyacheslav Zaitsev, who is an, an, a profound historian, profound historian of the Ukrainian past from Zaporizhia about Cossacks. But we also have cases when uh, uh, the journalists and human rights activists uh, go to the front line, they are taking hostages, they're taking prisoners of war, and therefore they, what Russian propaganda is doing, these human rights activists are accused of the horrible crimes, because Russian propaganda knows very well 
that it is Russia who is making these horrible crimes. And in order to change that, to change this pyramid, to change the 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 angels and the devils to replace their places, they accuse these people. And I'm particularly uh, talking about Maxim Butkevich, also my friend, one of the prominent Ukrainian human rights activists, one of the founder of Hromatsky Radio and Independent Radio. So both a human rights activist and a, and a journalist and a pacifist and a le- very leftist uh, leftist uh, left leaning. Uh, person who was actually struggling for the rights of refugees, for the rights of uh, immigrants in Ukraine, uh, against the xenophobia, against the the far right movements. But when the, this big war has started, he also volunteered to the army. He was taken prisoner of war by by the Russian troops, and he is now uh, sentenced to thirteen years of colony in prison, uh, thirteen years in uh, Russian occupied territories of Ukraine. And therefore, it is important for us, of course, that all Ukrainian prisoners of war were released. Uh, But such people who are actually anti-war, very anti-war in in their minds, but who didn't find any other solution than to go to the front line to defend these values. Because if if we're not defending our country, these values of human rights will be lost here in Ukraine as well. Another important case is a writer who was killed because he is a writer, because he's a Ukrainian writer and the children writer. His name is Volodymyr Vakulenko. He was killed by Russians because he's a Ukrainian writer, writing in Ukrainian. He was taken in Izum one year ago and on 24th of March there will be an anniversary of his kidnapping. And the cynical thing is that he has an autistic son uh, who is called Vitalik. We know all this story because we visit them, we visit the Vakulenko family when we go to the front line. And, uh, and this is a very, very dramatic story, very, tra- not dramatic, very tragic story, horrible story. So he was, he was killed and we didn't know where his body was. And only, I think, after half of the year, so he was kidnapped in March, only in November, Actually, there was an expertise uh, on the bodies of those who were buried in Izum in this mass grave. That this is Vladimir Vakulenko. And now the big question is about his son because uh, he's 15 years old and he needs care. And therefore, you know, we have such stories. But uh, Vakulenko was clearly killed because he was a Ukrainian writer writing in Ukrainian with clear pro-Ukrainian pos- uh, positions. And uh, there are many, many other cases uh, like this. I don't want to talk too much, but you can kind of understand, I hope, this this tension. But uh, one very important thing is that there are lots of victims, but uh, this feeling that I, I told you from the very beginning, how the cultural figures of Ukraine actually volunteer and go to the volunteer to help the army, how they change their life, it's... Um, it's also very important. Thank you. Thank you so much for your compelling account. Uh, it is really sad. And uh, thank you for all the work you're doing in Ukraine and for your courage in, in the in such challenging circumstances. And it is so important that also writers and historians, essays capture the experiences of war and counter Russian disinformation. In Egypt, the authorities show no signs of easing their assault on freedom of expression. Several writers and poets remained behind bars because of their writing, including British Egyptian writer Allah Abd El Fatah, who is serving a five-year prison sentence following an unfair trial. Allah was on hunger strike between April and November 2022 to protect his arbitrary, to protest his arbitrary imprisonment and detention conditions. He also features in 2022 case list, like many Ukrainian writers do. I am pleased now to introduce Ahdav Suev author of uh, the best-selling novel, The Map of Love, 
that was short, shortlisted for the Booker Prize in 1999 and translated into more than 30 languages. And Cairo, a city transformed, Ahdaf's account of the Egyptian revolution of 2011, and Mezzatera, an influential collection of essays. In 2007, Suev co-founded the Palestine Festival of Literature, which takes place annually in occupied Palestine. She is the aunt of Allah Abdel Fattah. Uh, in her letter to Nargis Muhammadi, Adaf quotes Allah. All that's asked of us is that we fight for what's right. We don't have to be winning while we fight for what's right. We don't have to be strong while we fight for what's right. We don't have to be prepared while we fight for what's right or to have a good plan or be well organized. All that's asked of us is that we don't stop fighting for what's right. Dear Akhdaf, how Allah is doing right now? What can organizations like PEN International do to help address his situation? Please. Um, hi, Tanya and everybody. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me on here. And uh, thank you really primarily for everything that you do. And I'm very, very glad to um, to be here and to lend my support whenever whenever possible. I think that... Um, I think that Penn is doing really, really important work. Um, I, th I think it's quite clear to all of us here that, um, that the issue of the silencing, the persecution, the dislike of writers or of people who speak their minds is really not confined to one part of the world. It is... Uh, spread and is spreading across the whole world. It, it's a very globalized phenomenon to go with everything else that is that is so globalized. And um, I think that uh, one of the things that Penn International particularly does so well, which is a very sad thing, but it is that it actually does show us uh, the, the prevalence of of this new um of this phenomenon and in doing so i think it it kind of stimulates us to think of more um of more systemic uh of more basic approaches and solutions than the individual the individual is really really important um and and has to be kept in mind and has to be worked on but there is something wrong with the system in the world when uh, the judicial system in so many countries actually is co-opted by the uh, government, by the executive, by the state, in order to silence uh, critics. And while it is wrong to silence any critic, it's also really interesting and really sad that it seems that they cannot tolerate the slightest whisper of dissent, uh, of mockery, of, of really anything that has not been engendered by the state. This is something that we are really seeing in Egypt now. Of course, we. it is my nephew, Ali Abdel Fattah, who is on the case list, and it's him that I will talk about, but I, it's really important to remember, and it's very important for family members of prisoners to always sort of bring this forward, that for every person imprisoned and spoken about, there is a lineup of hundreds of others behind him. And it is simply impossible physically to talk about all of them. And so in speaking about one, we are really drawing attention to the condition, the overall condition, which permits so many people to be imprisoned. In Egypt, at the moment, there is a poet called Galal al-Bahiri who has embarked on hunger strike. I think he is on day 16. 
Um, in Egypt, we have like uh, people, TikTok content creators, people who put up funny skits, not even to do with the government, um, but get picked up and given sentences. And there is a, a, a menu, and um, it's it's not even a la carte, it's actually a set menu of charges that people are accused of. So if they're not accused of terrorism or joining or funding a terrorist organization, they're accused of spreading false news um, with the intent of destabilizing the state and the state's institutions. And it seems that the state and its institutions are so incredibly fragile that two kids making a funny TikTok video that lasts a minute is enough to um, accuse them of destabilizing it. Um, a very important case that we have right now, which I'm sure you know about in Penn, is that of the three journalists from Madame Osr, um, the only, uh, well, one of the very few serious news outlets that we still have in Egypt, and with the added edge that it is bilingual. And so, obviously, it is uh, very unpopular with the authorities. And they have refused it a license for four years. And obviously they're going to now say that they're operating without a license and so penalize them. But beyond that, they are charging three journalists uh, and they happen to be women journalists, quite interesting on uh, Mother's Day today in the Middle East. They're charging them with uh, disseminating false information with the intent of destabilizing because they reported from an unnamed source within government that there had been financial irregularities among the MPs of the party that is the party of government. So it's it's really very um, insidious, very far-reaching, very uh, scary, and also quite ridiculous what, 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 what is happening here. Um, on Halle in particular, again, I would just like to mention that, of course, there are two other people imprisoned, like who were taken with him, related to him, as it were. One is his lawyer, Muhammad al-Baqir, and one is a young, uh, again, he was making YouTube videos. His name is Muhammad Ibrahim. He is known as Oxygen because he his program was called Oxygen, letting oxygen in. Um, and they were short, sort of three-minute YouTube interviews with people on the street and he had millions of viewers and he's just locked up again for, for nothing and his condition is really not, not good. So um, Ale in himself uh, right now, he is, uh, well, he of course is very heartened by the support that he is getting um, and we really have been getting a great deal of support from various organizations and again pen is particularly to be to be thanked for its uh, constancy and its inventiveness in supporting Ale and supporting our family um he is after the hunger strike he he collapsed at the end when he when he didn't actually like drink water for 6 days he ended up collapsing um and uh and he decided that he would that he would suspend the hunger strike. His idea before had been that if he collapsed, he would uh, resume the hunger strike as soon as as they made him conscious. But um, but he actually decided not to do that, and he decided that at the moment the more difficult the more difficult thing and the more dutiful thing would be to choose to live. So. Uh, this is what he's doing. He has three young cellmates, young men who were picked up out of some protests in um, the end of 2013 when they were 16 years old. They've been in prison for 10 years. They don't know anything of life apart from prison. And so, and they've been with him, of course, through the terrible strike and collapse. And so he's giving them a break. And he is... Um, now kind of mentoring them and reading with them and uh, sort of talking talking with them and watching uh, sort of sports with them and so on. So, but it has to be said that he is also in his letters, it's clear that there is a kind of um, 
it's it's like he's treading water. He's he's he he's low. He's low because he is not in a state of active resistance. In other words, he's not on hunger strike. Um, but he's gathering his strength and we are of course going to start up uh, the campaign again the, the issue is just for those who don't know that with the um with the case of Ale, he was sentenced to five years in december 2021 now it is not the case with him that if he were to just uh grit his teeth and bear it until december 2026 uh, they would let him out. We are almost certain that they will not let him out. This is now the second time that Ali has been imprisoned. So he he uh, sir, he was imprisoned from uh, 2014 to 2019. He had a five-year sentence then, which he served in full. And this was for being present at a 15-minute silent protest outside parliament. And um, and when he when he completed that sentence and came out, he was on a surveillance order, which meant he had to report to a police station every night and sleep there from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And he did that for six months. Conscientiously, he detested it, but he did it from March to September 2019 and then they arrested him again in 2019 there were some calls for protests coming from outside Egypt and they arrested a lot of people they arrested Ale from inside the police station from September 2019 he served two years as a prisoner on remand without trial and then they brought him to trial in December and sentenced him to five years now when they arrested him, they charged him with five charges. But when they tried him in December 2021, they tried him on one charge only. This means that they have four charges in the bank waiting. And there is nothing, nothing at all to suggest that they would be prepared to see him out of prison. We don't really understand why. He, I mean, the story that Volodymyr was talking about. Now, Alet lost his father while he was in prison. And he also has an autistic son, a son who was born in the sort of euphoria of the revolution, end of 2011. He is now going on 12 and he is autistic. And that is Ale's primary concern is that he is not doing his job as a father to care for his son and to try and set him on a path which would give him some form of autonomy. Uh, and to try and give him brothers and sisters who would care for him when his parents were gone. So this is his biggest uh, concern, really. Um, and and it's it's kind of, you know, uh, affecting every day. But so it, it makes him, it makes us all wonder what it is that the state thinks that Alet will do when they let him out. Yes, he has become a symbol of something much bigger than himself. It's not, he never wanted this status for himself. In fact, he tried to push it away from, from himself as much as possible. And it is as much the state's doing as anything that he has now become such a, a symbol. But but there's nothing he can do about that. And, and primarily, really, uh, he needs to, to care for his son. So in any case, the last thing I'll say is that Ale, finally, when we had exhausted all internal means of making the state see sense or, you know, implement some tiny bit of justice for him, uh, we resorted to getting him a British citizenship because his mother, my sister, was born in the UK and all her children had the right to a citizenship. And uh, so Alec has a British citizenship. And what is interesting is that even though I don't know how many, I don't know if you're aware of like the huge campaign that was mounted for him during COP27 in Egypt, but even though he has been spoken for by people across the world and by heads of governments and organizations and so on, the Egyptian authorities have so far refused to even allow him a consular visit. So our fight is to say, 
let this man have a visit from uh, the consul of Britain, because we feel that that might let a bit of air into the situation. But the government has steadfastly uh, refused now for over a year to, to allow this. So we're not really sure where this will go, but um, of course, of course, A, we always keep our hopes up and B, whatever we say, we say free them all. And C, we would urge anyone listening to this to back Penn and to support Penn um, because it's an organization that people are able to turn to when um, you know their own country fails them. Thank you so much, Ardaf. Really, thank you. And uh, I can assure you that, and we can assure you that PEN International and all the centers of PEN in the, around the world will continue to campaign for Ale until he's free. So thank you for your account. 2022 was the deadliest year for the press in the Americas in the last 24 years. And one of the worst in terms of freedom of expression violations against writers and artists with a high number of forced exiles and imprisonments. The America's case list reflects the type of the types of censorship faced by artists and writers in the region. Violence continues to take the stage as we witnessed in the attack on writer Salman Rushdie in the United States, while Cuban and Nicaraguan authors who have long faced persistent persecution and harassment at various levels for their literature and journalism have been forced into exile by their governments. In her poem, What Are You, Nicaragua? Jaconda Belli writes, What are you, clenched fist and loaded gun? What are you, Nicaragua, to cause me such pain? I am pleased to introduce Jaconda Belli, a Nicaraguan novelist and poet. She's one of the most renowned Latin American writers, a tireless defender of free expression, who notably led Pen Nicaragua until its suspension. Joconda lives in exile due to repression. She's one of over 300 Nicaraguans who were stripped of their citizenship and other rights last month, a move condemned by Pen International. Dear Joconda, in addition to the release of Dear Jaconda, in addition to the release of more than 220 prisoners last February, what was the situation faced by writers in Nicaragua or the Americas in 2022? What can international human rights organizations do to help address this situation? The 222 prisoners were not technically released on February 9th. They were deported to the United States and stripped of their nationality. What could have been a positive step turned into a condemnation of these prisoners who had been jailed for their political views and while in jail, kept in isolation and prevented from having any reading or writing materials for more than 600 days. Seven of these prisoners were aspiring presidential candidates in their 2021 elections where Ortega ran and contested. They were declared traitors of their homeland and sent away as stateless persons. The next day, uh, Bishop Rolando Alvarez, who had refused to board the plane, was sentenced without a trial to 26 years in prison for his sermons and his political view. And then on February 16th, 94 additional Nicaraguans were also stripped of their citizenship, declared traitors, and furthermore expropriated of all their possessions, including their retiring pensions. Among the deported 222 were journalists, such as Cristiana, Pedro Joaquin, and uh, Chamorro, 
Juan Lorenzo Holman, who was the manager of the newspaper La Prensa, the oldest newspaper in Nicaragua who had lasted through all kinds of things, uh, was confiscated and closed on 222. We now do not have newspapers in Nicaragua. Also, Miguel Mora was a, the, the director of a TV channel. Miguel Mendoza, who was a, a sports chronicle, and Jaime Arellano. In the batch of the 94, also stripped of their nationality, are journalists Wilfredo Miranda, Patricia Orozco, feminist Sofia Montenegro, and Vilma Núñez, the leading uh, human rights defender in the country, who is 84. And she did refuse to leave the country and is remaining there under house arrest. This group also includes writer Sergio Ramirez and myself. We have been expropriated illegally and left with no pensions, no nationality for the crime of writing and expressing our views. Fortunately, you know, there have been a wave of solidarity. So Spain offered nationality to everybody who had been stripped of it. And uh, also other countries like Chile, Argentina, Colombia, uh, offered uh, nationality. So that was a very consoling uh, uh, you know, reaction for all these things that have been happening in Nicaragua. So there is no longer independent media in the country. More than 97 journalists are in exile. I must commend their tireless work setting up digital uh, outfits to keep Nicaraguans informed. All the community radios of the Catholic Church, plus all the regional cable channels, were also canceled and confiscated. Aside from this, the Ortega government canceled the legal status of the Nicaraguan Academy of Letters that had existed for 94 years, uh, for, since 1922. They did this on May 30th, 2022. And the same was done to the Granada International Poetry Festival after 17 years of having become a showcase for the best poetry in Nicaragua and Central America. John Rolson Sol, in fact, spoke at this festival as Penn President in 2015. This festival was an amazing uh, you know, experience and we had a thousand poets came through the 17 years that the festival lasted. And, uh, you know, they were, they had these amazing people listening to them, public, 5,000 people in a square, you know, in complete silence because Nicaraguans love poetry. And so that we lost that. We lost that festival that we loved. Pen uh, uh, Nicaragua was also canceled by the government on February 15th, 2022. They too, stripped us of our legal status. Uh, plus, more than 3,000 NGOs, among them the Violeta Chamorro Foundation, which was for freedom of expression that when we were in Penn, Nicaragua, we were very close with. Um, they have, you know, all of these things have turned Nicaragua into a totalitarian dictatorship, and their narrative is intent on presenting the 2015. 2018 uh, civic rebellion uh, as a terrorist coup instigated by the United States. That is their uh, their preferred uh, way to to tell you know the world and to tell themselves and their and their followers that these uh, spontaneous protests were uh, terrorist dealings uh, financed by the United States, which is a total lie. Uh, I would also like to address the situation in Guatemala, where Jose Rubén Zamora, a senior and very prestigious journalist in, in jail because of the political views of his newspaper, El Periódico, and the case of another very important outfit uh, in El Salvador called El Faro, that is also has been under the harassed and, and uh, accused of many, you know, tax problems, whatever they can find to make their lives difficult has been done to 
eh, el faro en El Salvador. Eh, then we have the situation of journalists in Mexico and Honduras. Just in Mexico, 2022 has been the worst year with 19 journalists killed with impunity. Uh, I thank Alicia Quiñones for the very detailed report on the attacks and harassments of journalists and writers in the Americas. Really, uh, I wish we could all have the opportunity to tell the world about, you know, all the things. This is just a little uh, snippet of the situation in Central America, in Nicaragua, but it is obvious, like everybody has been saying in this panel that I am very honored to be a part of uh, that uh, the situation for dissent, for, you know, for critique is, uh, is now uh, in, in a, in a, under attack. You know, these things that are happening uh, with journalists and writers all over the world are very worrisome. And so I also urge everybody who is listening to this to support PEN. PEN is really the most important organization in the world right now in defense of freedom of expression. And uh, we need support. We need to do this work. We need to help people in jail. We, ne we need to uh, denounce all these things. Penn has a, a correspondence with the UN. Penn has the possibility to bring these cases up. And it has more than 30,000 members, centers in more than 100 countries. So it's a very powerful organization that needs help, uh, needs our support. And uh, thank you very much, Tanya, and everybody for uh, doing this, like, you know, so important, such an important job. Uh, thank you so much for your thoughts and sharing uh, also the analysis of the situation. Uh, I can just assure you, and we can assure you that we will continue to support your fight, and we stand by you. Thank you. Well, in Myanmar, the military junta continues to target all forms of critical expression as part of its efforts to conceal evidence of its crimes. Journalists are routinely detained on bogus charges of incitement or spreading false news. According to a report from RSF, Myanmar is now second only to China in the number of journalists it has jailed. Writer Ko Jimmy, arrested days after the February 2021 coup, which he had criticized on social media, was among four activists who were executed in July 2022 by the military junta following a sham trial. These were the first executions carried out in Myanmar in over 30 years. The deaths are a damning indictment of the military junta's willingness to use every means available to terrorize the people of Myanmar. In the coming book, A Maze, Spring Blood Machine, Matida describes moments of horror during people's peaceful protests. A young revolutionary shares his thought. Well, I know we can get shot at any time. Of course, our spines are shivering, but I want my soul clear. Dear Tida, could you please share with us an overview of the situation of freedom of expression in Myanmar and the risks writers and journalists are facing right now? What are PEN members and supporters doing to help improve the situation? Well, it's very hard, you know, as soon as the military took the, uh, make the attempt to coup, uh, we we keep saying not the coup yet because people very very much persisted still. So people say we cannot be governed by you. So that's why we call this is the attempt to coup. You know, so the as soon as they make this attempt to coup, they make several other measures like the legislative reform back to the. 
very serious surveillance system, cybersecurity law, and some other uh, legislations which prohibited seriously uh, to make the freedom of expression. You know, that's one thing. And on the other hand, they revoke the licenses of the at least 13 news agencies. And they arrested more than 100 journalists. And right now, more than 100 journalists are in exile, and there are still at least 52 journalists still in prison, and at least four journalists has been killed. And the, uh, uh, including the uh, Jimmy, and there are so many other writers has been uh, arrested, but most of them were now released, but still, around a dozen of writers or poets are in prison and other artists, not just uh, journalists, but also the other like documentary filmmakers or the, the performance artists, they are still in prison. On top of that, you know, the way they uh, make uh, people in danger is even on the street. Everybody can be checked. They are mobile phone by the security forces on the street. If they found out, they just make a click on the like reaction to any anti-military post, they can be charged, but also they can be killed deliberately. The impunity to the soldiers level is still going on. So everybody, so recently, the, uh, there are altogether 60, over 60 massacre has been done during these two years already. More than 700 people has been killed. Some will kill, set fire alive. Some were killed very brutally. They chopped all their organs and they reassemble or they disseminated the parts of their organs all over the places. This kind of atrocity is going on. So that's why even for posting on the, the social media or showing their reactions to any kind of the news is very, very, very difficult or dangerous to everybody. So for the members of the PAN, one of our members, he was arrested in early part of the revolution and he was already sentenced to uh, more than 15 years, but he's still facing the high treason that uh, he, his name is Waymo Nine and that can make him even death penalty, you know. So we have so many people to make, make concern and for the pan uh, Myanmar, we cannot publicly exist it. You know, we cannot uh, exist it as a, a, the civil society organization. So, you know, of course, we try our best to keep stay connected among the members, but it's very difficult. Not every member we cannot reach out because of the limited access to the electricity and the internet access. At least, you know, more than uh, 400, 500,000 people didn't get uh, internet access in some critical areas. So we really don't know. Most of our members, we cannot reach out to them. We don't know how they're going. So it's very difficult situation. And I think according to the uh, all other uh, kind of the uh, protocols, it's a full-blown civil war, you know, more than, Almost two million people are internally displaced and living under the immense poverty, and they burnt down more than seventy thousand houses without having any reason, enough reason. They just burnt down to reduce the resistance. But on the other hand, it has been more than two years already. Every single day people show their resistance. They just say, you can burn our homes, but you cannot burn 
our spirits. This is going on. This is the situation in Myanmar, in my country. Thank you so much, Tida. We stand by your country and we, we admire all of you brave people that have come together for this, uh, for this uh, panel. And of course, for promoting and for distributing the 2022 case list. Um, I have one question for each panelist. And if there were there are to be some questions unanswered, please send them per email and we can discuss them later. Jaconda, it's for you first. Do writers have an obligation to challenge authority? Yes, I think so. I think, you know, it's, it's up to every writer. I mean, there is not like a law or a, an obligation that is written on, on stone because some writers rather, you know, write and hope that their writing will bring forth the message that they want to communicate. But in the case of people like us who live in these territories where all these horrible things are happening, I cannot imagine uh, a writer in his right heart uh, to not feel and do not want to take their side of the people and help because we do have forums. We do have the opportunity to participate in places where we can raise our voices and tell about what's going on in our countries. So I do think that is it's a it's a function of the intellectual to have this responsibility to talk, to say what others cannot say. Thank you so much, Jaconda. I completely agree with you. In my point, in my heart, somehow engaged literature is real literature. I have the next question for Volodymyr. Um, what can individuals do to show solidarity with writers in Ukraine today? I think we individuals can talk about these people. Uh, I mean, uh, in the Soviet Union, we have this the graves of unknown soldier. I think we no longer should... Uh, should be in this discourse of unknown soldiers. Should we we should remember everybody by names, mm -hmm. those who are imprisoned and those who were killed, and uh, publish the the texts, the 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 the, the creative, what they did, what they what they are doing, uh, because actually literature during the war uh, is on the one hand almost, I always say kind of a is writing about suffering is both the blasphemy and the duty because it's it's the blasphemy because if you write about somebody else's suffering it's it's kind of a you you intervening in somebody's life and it's very difficult to write about a woman who lost her child without feeling the moral moral problems about this that you're intervening into other suffering but at the same time if you if we're silenced uh, and Ukrainian history is uh, very much the history of uh, imposed silence. It only uh, it only stimulates the perpetrators. I think we talk so much on this panel about impunity, and this is very important that uh, impunity only increases evil, because evil understands that there is no consequences for it, and therefore uh, raising this voice is uh, is of course very 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 important yeah this is my response thank you so much i agree i think also translations are very important translations of ukrainian history literature everything you write next my next question is for uh Agdaf. Agdaf, what can the international community do to help address the human rights situation in egypt we are a bit running over the time, but I would still like you and uh, Tida to have a few words, please. 
Um, well, I, I would, I would, uh, I'm speaking from, uh, from within Egypt. And so I will be very brief and I will say that uh, the international community should uh, pressure Egypt by every diplomatic means to persuade it to, um, you know, to, to respect the law and respect the rights of its citizens. Thank you so much. Well, let's hope we our governments hear us and we have to be loud to, to tell this message. Uh, Tida, with Europe leaning towards the right and borders being tightened worldwide, how do you think writing and literature can also help remind those in safer countries of the importance of standing up to authoritarian authoritarian regimes? Please. Well, it's a I I believe, you know, the if we don't actually and actively against the uh handful of authoritarian regimes it can be the disease it can be infectious infectious you know so that's why it's very important for the whole world globally collectively act on every single authoritarian regime and the role of the artist role of the writers should be taking care very well in that sense because it's also can either fuel the authoritarian regime or either fuel the resistance, you know. So we, we need to be very uh, conscious, consciously aware of what's going on. It's not just consuming the information which hit you, you know. Yes, <laughs> the, the, yes. Everywhere in the world should be proactively looking for the information and uh, making the more like uh, initiative and proactive loving kindness or uh, attempt to understand what's going on in which part of the war. As the, the other writer says, if someone's, if uh, uh, writers in the other part of the war is not free, any mm -hmm. writers in the war are not free, as the Ohem Pamuk said, you know. So that's why every mm -hmm. single person in this war, if someone is in danger, it's our danger, it's our problem. So I hope the please cross the boundary in that sense and please use the humanity to make things better not just for our generation, but also for the future generation. That's our duty. Thank you so much, Tida. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, all the four panelists, Tida, Volodymyr, Ardaf, and Jaconda. Thank you for your powerful accounts. I would also like to thank the authors of the Case List 2022, which is now launched on the website for all of you to read thoroughly, to, to distribute and to tell the stories. Uh, so I would like to thank the heads of regions, Aurelia Dondo, Ross Holder, Nduka Matigere, Alicia Quinones, Mina Tabet. Thank you very much. Thanks also to the editor uh, of the survey and Harrison and to all Penn centers and all Penn staff who helped with the survey. You will find also detailed information about the situation for freedom of expression in Ukraine, Egypt, Nicaragua, Myanmar, and beyond in this report. I would also like uh, to, to tell you that if you need more information, turn to Pan International, it is available upon request. I would also like with for the conclusion to encourage pen members and supporters to promote the case list and journalists and writers to write about the cases mentioned in this report and to keep highlighting the plight of journalists, poets and writers imprisoned. By sharing their stories, you build a shield in your country against censorship, self-censorship and oppression even if it's not the case today. Please do consider donating to our crisis appeal to help us support writers at risk. 
Thank you very much for taking part in this event and joining PEN International in the fight to defend freedom of expression. Thank you. This was a podcast to explain Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. Uh, Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support uh, our volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.